And in that, he gave us the great commission which says, Therefore, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them all that I have commanded you. God's plan for the church is to be a group of people that are mobilized for the single purpose of communicating the gospel. see how far along and ahead we are of the early church we like each other and so even in that by itself we are way ahead of what Jesus came into and so I am excited about us I'm excited about the gospel as we begin to talk about Jesus being the Lord of the harvest he said I'm the Lord of the harvest and as Lord of the harvest I came to seek and to save that which was lost And he told us, I want to give you an example. So he walked one day through an area he wasn't even supposed to be in. And he found a lady. A lady whose reputation was not the best in the world. And he walked up to her and he started talking. And he said, you know what? I'm thirsty. And she began to give him something to drink. And he said, I want to give you living water. And Jesus taught us how to step into people's lives. Hurting people, lonely people, sad people. He said, because you see, I'm not only the Lord of the harvest. He said, but I have love for people out there. And then he gave us a law of the harvest. And in the law of the harvest, he said, those who go forth sowing seed, weeping, will doubtless come again, bringing their sheaves with them. He said, I'm the Lord of the harvest. I want you to go tell people that I love them. He said, and this is my promise to you. If you'll do it, then I will give you a reward. I will give you fruit. But you see, we also have to understand this. That harvest is only for a season. You know, there's a fine and short line between ripe and rotten. Have you ever grown tomatoes? You know what I'm talking about? One day that tomato's green and the next day it's red and then the next day you go back and it's like, duh, you don't even want to touch it? Man, it's a short season. And God has given to us a season where He says the fruit is ripe. So take our Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. Now, before I read it, let me give you just a little bit of background here. Jeremiah, do you all know what he was known as? Jeremiah the, the weeping prophet. Nobody ever responded. Can you imagine spending your whole life sharing, telling, loving, going out to people, and nobody ever, ever responding? But Jeremiah was faithful. He kept telling the story. And Jeremiah was in the city of Jerusalem. And he had been warning the nation of Judah of doom, disaster, because they had chosen to rebel against God. And in this chapter, we see some of the things that God was saying. 
hey, if you don't or if you do continue to rebel against me, this is what's going on. In fact, in verse 13, it would say to us this. It would say, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord, that their fields would be ruined. Verse 17 says to us, See, I will send venomous snakes among you, vipers that cannot be charmed, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. Their cities would be destroyed. Verse 19 says that their people would be killed or taken captive. And God warned the people through Jeremiah that only I can save you. Only I can redeem you. I am the one that you place your trust in. I am the place that you put your hope. And yet the people of Israel chose, in the middle of that warning, in the middle of things that were going on, they chose to make an alliance with the people of Egypt. Because surely the people of Egypt could save us. But we know through history that Babylon came along and defeated the people of Egypt. The Savior was dead. And because the one, the buffer between them and defeat was gone, it says that they marched on to Jerusalem and they took the people captive. Jeremiah says the harvest is past in verse 20. The summer has ended and we are not saved. Someone well said, My fear is not that the church will not succeed. But the church will succeed at the wrong things. You see, I don't think that Mount Zion will not succeed. But we must always ask the question, are we succeeding at the right thing? And we've got some examples of what the right thing is through Scripture. One example is when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God. And he said, and the second one's like it, love people. And then Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, 19, and 20, he gave us a great commission. He sort of gave us a roadmap. He said, therefore, go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all that I have commanded you. He said, I want you to make them into disciples. I want you to mark them by baptism. He said, I want you to mature them so that they are able to walk and stand on their own. They have their faith. And so when we begin to ask the question, it's not how many activities did we have last month, but did the activities that we had, did they make, mark, and mature people? Did we encourage them in faith? Did we show them how to enter into a personal relationship with God? And if they're in that personal relationship with God, did we show them how to walk through life leaning not on their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledging Him so that their path would be straight? Were we good stewards of the hurting people that walked through our doors? Were we like Jesus when we walked through Samaria? Did we see the people? And when we saw them, did we step into their life? Because Jeremiah, talking about this harvest, says this harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. So if we're going to talk this morning 
and close this out on this harvest idea. The first thing we need to understand is there is a reality of the loss. The loss is real. The first statement says the harvest is past. Right before our very eyes, the harvest is going away. And I would tell you, I believe that that's happening globally. I think it's happening nationally. And I think it's happening locally. Since 1980, there has been no growth in the proportion of adult population that can be classified as born-again believers. The fastest-growing churches in America are not Christian. Among those expanding most rapidly are the Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness church, and followers of Islam. The harvest is passing away individually. It's a proven fact that in relation to the harvest that children, young people, respond much more quickly. One friend of mine who's a pastor said that whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And I want to tell you, there are people that are not followers of Christ who are actively pursuing, actively looking for, and spending billions and billions and billions of dollars a year to gain the trust and access to your children. And we as the church need to be actively involved, physically engaged, socially aware, and looking for the opportunities to step into the lives of young people. Listening to them. Slowing down long enough not only to walk by and say hi, but to kneel down and say, and how are you? The harvest, the loss of the harvest is a reality. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. For some of us, the harvest is passing and we don't even realize it. You're getting older, your heart is hardening, and you don't realize that you are more and more distant from God. We are a blessed church. We baptize people much more frequently than many, 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 many churches. But when was the last time that we baptized someone over 50? Over 60? 70, 80? Truth, I don't remember. But you see those young people, their hearts are tender. People, if we reach out to them and we begin to love them, they will come to Christ. Dwight Moody tells a story of a time that he preached on the passage, Jeremiah 8.20. And when he gave the invitation, there was a man sitting in the audience. And his wife was next to him. And he said he could tell that the wife was reaching out to the husband, talking to the husband, and urging him, compelling him, pleading with him. Go forward, give your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. And he said he could see the man tightening his grip on the seat in front of him. And he went home that night and he did not give his life to Christ. He said he went back to that same town and he began to preach. And on the last night of the, of the crusade that he was preaching, he was invited to the home of a man that was dying at the request of a wife to come and pray. He walked into the room and there was a lady there kneeling beside the bed, pleading and begging and compelling, give your heart to Christ, give your heart to Christ. And the man would not respond even though yet he was dying. 
And she called Mr. Moody over and he said, Mr. Moody, please talk to him. And he knelt down and he could hear a faint voice going, the harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. He raised up, he looked at the wife, he went back down. The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we're not saved. And he said, why is he repeating this? And, and she reminded him of the number of years back that he was there. And that he had preached on that, and the man had said no to God. And she said, ever since then, he will say that over and over. And now it is death, that's all he says. That man went to heaven with clenched fists. The summer was past. The harvest had ended and he was not saved. You see, there is a loss. There's going to come a time that we will not be able to tell people that they can give their heart to Christ. But there will also come a time that you will not be able to give your heart to Christ. Because there is a reality. But understand this, not only is there a reality of the loss, but there is a reason for the loss. The summer has ended. Did any of you grow up in an area where they grew wheat, grain, that type thing? They planted in the wintertime. And during February, March, April, it's green, then it begins to grow. And then about May, June, it turns brown, and it's the amber waves of grain. You know what I'm talking about. But you harvest it in June because the summer heat will scorch it. The reason for the loss, the summer is there. The harvest was gone. You see, when the saint dies, when the believer dies... There's no more obligation because there's no need to sow seed in heaven. But you see, it's not only does the summer die for the person who does know Christ, but it also dies for the person that ends for the person that for the one it ends for the one who does, and it also ends for the one who does not. You see, you can only have a harvest where seed is sown, and there's no gospel seed in hell. In fact, there's a great passage. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, I think we can illustrate this very well. Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read a few verses because the verses tell it better than it can be told. It's just about a rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16 verse 19 and we'll read for just a minute. It's there, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That means heaven. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham afar away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, 
a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You see, the harvest is in season and the season is while there is life. It is in season for us to be the one who tells, but it's also in season that you are the one who responds. The scripture says, choose you this day whom you will serve. To the believer, will you choose to serve him through the great commission? To the one who does not know Christ, will you choose him to become your Lord and Savior? Choose you today. Because there is a reality. The time is coming that we cannot respond by telling and we cannot respond by receiving. And Jeremiah says, the summer has ended and we are not saved. There's a reason. God says, for this moment, this time, I urge you, go, tell, be a part of the process. I read a story about a young man who started out of his house. And he did not know God and did not want to know God. And he did, wanted his mother to know he did not know God. And so every time, time he got a chance, he would emphasize that to her. And on his way out the door, she reached into her little apron pocket and she pulled out a gospel track and she handed it to him. And he began to curse saying, somebody at work today gave me one of those blank things. I don't want it. I want to go to a place where nobody will hand me the truth. And his mom looked at him and said, then you need to go to hell because there is no truth there. And she was not telling now, understand, she was not telling him to go there. But that's the place there is not truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to tell. We must tell. We must look for the opportunities to tell. And so many times we we think, man, there's a victory. We'll have eternity to celebrate the victories. But right now is the season for work. John 9, 4 says, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There's a reality of the loss. The loss will happen. There's a reason for the loss. Because the summer will have ended. But also there's a result of the loss and we are not saved it's the hebrew word nosa it means literally saved from judgment the harvest is past the summer is ended we are not alberta canada some years back there was a family out And they were on vacation and they saw the grain. They stopped. They looked. They wanted to walk through it and they wanted to see it. They wanted to experience it. They were enjoying the moment and they had their son with them. 
And as they were walking through the grain, the little child who was not taller than the, than the wheat itself was walking. And they got separated. And they began to call out, Where's, where are you? And they called him my name. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? They couldn't find him. And finally the father ran back to town and said, Our son is in the grain. We can't find him. Will you join us? And people came from the town and they began to frantically look and search. And they still couldn't find him. Finally someone said, Let's join arms and walk each row, each pace of it. And they found the little boy. He had succumbed to the elements. He was no longer alive. And somebody said, why didn't we lock arms sooner? You see, church, we've got to lock arms. Satan has locked arms with the world. And he is reaching people. He is destroying children. He is ruining lives. And we're sitting over here as the church going, man, I hate it when another one perishes. I hate it when another one falls. I hate it when this and I hate it when that. And I hate it and I hate it and I hate it. And yet we're still running around frantically looking and we just haven't locked arms. There is a season, guys. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the harvest. Jesus says, if you'll lock arms, if you'll sow the seed, you will reap a harvest. You will change the world. You can make a difference. One more life can be saved. But we have got to lock arms. What does it take? What is, it, what is the cause that will compel us? People are slipping, falling, tumbling headlong into a Christless eternity. And we've been given the information, we've been given the empowerment. We've been given the course. And all that is left is to do. Would you today, under God, commit yourself to find one person that you will begin, at least one person, let me say it this way, that you will begin to pray for them by name. That you will actively seek a personal relationship. I had an opportunity to pray with someone this morning. said, will you pray with me? Will you pray for this? Specifically, will you pray? And begin to call by name. Father, in the name of Jesus, the one who left the glory of heaven for the squalor of earth to seek and to save those who are lost. God, by name, I pray for this person. God, by choice, I choose to enter into a relationship with them. God, I choose to walk beside them. I choose to look for ways to tell them that you are the answer. Because what I think is this, that so many times... By show of hands, how many of us want people to go to hell? We don't, we don't want them to go to hell, no. 
No, sorry, I may have not worded the question correctly. By show of hands, how many of us would love for somebody to spend eternity in hell? Nobody, right? That's a given statement. How many of us really want to see people go to heaven? By show of hands. Yes. So the question is not do we believe people ought to go to heaven, but we get caught up in everyday life and we forget, oh, by the way, oh, I should have gone. Or we get caught up in our our own personal fear and we're afraid to walk up to somebody what if they don't respond let me ask you this what is the greater offense for me to walk up to David and say hey David I'd like to talk to you about a personal relationship with God and him say no get out of my face or would the greater offense be for me to know that if he doesn't know Christ he's going to hell and I just ignore it I think the greater offense is that I would never step into his life and build a relationship. And y'all are some relational people. I know this because I watch you relate to each other and to other people all the time. We have the skill. We have the information. We have the relationship. It's really just the choice. Because can you imagine... what it'll be like the day after that ripe fruit is spoiled. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the rich man who's almost persuaded to be a follower and then he looks up from hell And he says, hey, would you just let that little beggar drip a piece of water? I don't know where you are with God today. But I know where you will be without God in eternity. So I think that it compels us. It compels us to ask the question, to search the heart, to know the soul. To do David, what David said, search me, God, and know me. But I'm going to say, search me, God, know me, show me. Show me where I am right now. God, if I was Lazarus at this moment, God, if I was the rich man at this moment, would I be begging for water? Or would I be sitting in heaven? Now listen to me, that really, there really is only two options, you understand, that's the two options, heaven, hell. Heaven comes through a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was buried into the tomb, rose again, and ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. You cannot get to God any other way. And if you have not secured a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then today I ask you, would you come to Him? Would you come to Him as your Savior? For those of us who have made that decision, I would ask you today, would you commit yourself to being available 
actively available to God to say, Father, I want to be one who sows the seed. I want to be one who's available to tell people that you love them. I want to be one that's available to share the gospel. I want to live out the Great Commission. I want to make disciples. I want to help be a part of marking disciples. I want to be a part of maturing disciples to become and to grow. Everybody loves a cause. Everybody loves a purpose. And the God who made us gave us a meaning, a reason, a purpose. And he says, join me. Join me. Be a part of what I do. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more or to contribute through online giving, please visit www.mzbc.org. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, simply click on the Sermons tab or subscribe to the Simple Truth Podcast through iTunes. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.